I've tried putting off recording this for as long as possible, but the episode must go up. Um, yeah. Apologies for my voice. It is not sexy sick. It's just, it's just gross sick. But anyway, on to the episode. I think we all know what it's like to be someone's personal cheerleader, but I was interested in getting the perspective of someone who, for a living, is here to help you get from point A to point B. Megan Duffy, career coach, cheese lover, and corgi stalker, boils down her takeaways from having been a camp counselor in Turkey to the chief of staff at Tech Startup, not to mention an archivist for the Metropolitan Opera, which, for the life of me, I can't believe I somehow overlooked, so mental note. Megan Duffy, I might need to get back to you on that because I'm highly curious. She makes plain what we perhaps cannot see and acts as a guiding force in times when, professionally, our career just seems to equal cluster. Seasoned in being the support to others, how exactly does she separate personal and professional identity, and how has it got a relevant factor in this? Quoting Megan Duffy directly, Being stuck is a cultural condition. Getting unstuck is a personal journey. This is Superpowers with Megan Duffy. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from New York City and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate this. I love that you reached out. And if you could give us a little rundown on who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, so I'm Meg. Um, <clears throat> currently, I am a career coach who helps people launch and grow careers in tech. Um, but I've held many jobs over the years. So I started as um, an ESL tutor, a cross-country coach. I studied library and archival science, was an archivist for a bit. Um, I moved into the tech startup world and was the chief of staff at a startup. I worked at a coding boot camp for women. And through all those experiences, I think the common thread is really that I love, you know, supporting and connecting people with the tools and information that they need to do their best work. Um, and so all of those experiences have informed a lot of my coaching practice, um, both with people that I've worked with and through my own career. What is it about the subject of following your gut and listening to your intuition that led you to initially reaching out? And like, how do these subjects resonate with you? Yeah, following my gut historically has been very difficult for me. Um, I feel like listening to your podcast felt like a reflection of a lot of the work that I've been doing over the past couple of years. Um, I am definitely a person who has struggled with anxiety for a big chunk of my life. Um, and when you struggle with anxiety, it is very difficult to follow your gut. For me, anxiety manifests itself through like looping thoughts and, you know, just a very tense physical presence. So my breath gets shorter, my chest tightens, my muscles get very tense. And when you're in that space, it is very difficult to cut through that noise and check in and see how you're actually feeling internally. So I think through over the past couple of years, through running, meditation, journaling, therapy, I've really been able to figure out what my gut sounded like in the midst of all that. Um, and listen to it more closely. And once I started doing that, I 
just so many things changed. <laughs> and do you feel that this sense and this connectivity with your gut, did it, it came throughout your career or do you feel that perhaps it was present in your childhood or was it more towards your adult years? That's a great question. I think that I was much better at trusting my gut when I was younger, um, when I was a kid and a teenager, um, I feel like it manifested itself in me being a little bit more stubborn uh, in that space. Uh, but looking back, I actually feel like it was a good thing because I think in during that period of time, I was very clear on, you know, I want to study these things. I want to travel to these places. And I was really intent on making those things happen. Um, I think after college, I, so I graduated in 2008. Here I am dating myself. Um, but that was a very humbling experience um, because I felt like no matter what I did during that time, during the great economic downturn, uh, I just couldn't get a foot in the door. And I was very lucky to be able to get my uh, ESL tutoring and coaching job. But it was not the vision that I had for myself at the time. And I think through that experience and that loss of control, I lost a bit of confidence and the ability to check in with my gut. And it wasn't yeah. until many years later uh, where I was able to get back to a place where I was able to take that leap of faith and trust that things were going to work out a little bit better. Yeah. It's like you kind of come out your safety zone when you're really making that career transition move or when you're kind of coming out of college and then, like, the minute someone kind of gets a slap across the face, they want to, like, retract. Um, Absolutely. And I think I took that, you know, that feeling of failure very personally. Yeah. Like, oh, like, I made a terrible choice. Um, you know, don't, don't do that again. And so it made me a bit more risk-averse in that space. Yeah. And especially when it's just an, a learning curve, really. Exactly. And I brushed it a bit on the Myers-Briggs personality types. Because uh, oh, yeah. I was reading the email and you said you were an INFJ and this quote I feel I was reading through the articles and I feel like this really resonated with like the email that you sent through where they tend to help others as their purpose in life. But while people with this personality type can be found engaging rescue efforts and doing charity work, their real passion is to get to the heart of the issue so that people need not be rescued at all. And... I was looking at the way in which your career has taken shape and the many transitions it has taken to reach your current state. And I feel that you mentioned in your background, well, yeah, you being an INFJ, it really underlines the relationship you have between personal and professional identity. And seeing as you are a career coach, I can only imagine the emotional investment that also takes. How has following your gut and... How has it lent to finding that balance between personal and professional identity? That's a great question, too. And it's an interesting space to be in because I am my own company, right? So, yeah. you know, I am a person, but I am also a business in this space. Um, I think one thing that I've really had to learn is to just set very clear boundaries. Um, and so you know, striking that balance between being very invested and very supportive, but not carrying other humans. You know, yeah. I can't 
get you a job. I can't reach inside your head and tease out the answers. Um, and I need to be very clear about that. You know, coaching is not therapy. It's very structured. I'm asking lots of questions, but ultimately, you know, the other person is doing the work. And so I've had to not only set boundaries for myself in terms of what feel good, but I need to be able to articulate those boundaries with other people. Um, and I think that's been good, you know, in both a professional and a personal context. I think it's very good to have boundaries and to be very, very clear on this is what I can do for you, um, but not overextending yourself, which I think is a, a typical trait of INFJs. We love to just go and go and go and help and help and help. Um, but over the past couple of years, I've realized that in order to be able to sustain that long-term, I also need to be able to take breaks. You know, I also yeah. need to be able to unplug um, and replenish that energy so that I can get back out there and be the supportive person that I want to be. Yeah, completely. If you're not coming from a space of balance yourself, you can't be that for anyone else. Right. And have you had any clients that approached you as in, oh, you're more my therapist than an actual coach? Have there been instances where you kind of, like, how did you handle that if there have been instances such as that? There have definitely been those spaces where, you know, even though it's in the contract and I say it <laughs> very frequently, yeah. I am not a therapist, um, there have been instances where we have taken things into a space where I've had to call out, like, this is more, I can help you with these pieces, but I think that you need to deep dive into, you know, a therapy setting in order to be able to, to work through these bits. Um, I think that coaching can be very cathartic, but, you know, again, it's very much focused in a specific realm. Um, and when it starts spilling into, oh, like, actually, I don't really want to talk about career coaching. I want to talk about, you know, like a low self-worth space. It's not to say that like those things can't be intertwined with your career because we are very complex humans. Um, but that's a space where when those things start coming up, I know that I need to draw a line for me um, because I am not equipped to deal with that. And also, you know, it just blurs the boundaries of like what an appropriate coaching relationship is. Do you openly practice like following your gut and do you integrate it into the way you coach or is that kind of more for yourself? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So I was working with a client yesterday on an exercise, um, not to get too much into the details, but it's, it's kind of like a, like a word association exercise and it goes very quickly. And so the whole idea is to not overthink it too much. And we got to the end of the exercise and it was confirming what her superpower was. And she like screamed and she was like, oh my goodness. And I asked her to talk to me a bit about what had happened. And it turned out that the superpower was like naming the thing that she had been wrestling with articulating for a long time. And we talked a little bit about the exercise and how it can be very challenging because you want to identify with many different uh, traits that come up, but the whole objective is to go through very quickly and to be able to trust your gut and pick the one that feels the most right first. And that was just an awesome experience to be able to deliver a name for the thing that she had been like wrestling with for quite some time. Yeah. I love that superpower. It, it was super fun. <laughs> like those, anytime that somebody either 
gets super excited and, you know, we've connected the dots or they're in a place where they say, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. Like, that's a session where I feel like I've done my job very well. Has there anyone, like, been ever skeptical about really following their gut or, like, listening to that intuition that is speaking to them and they just want to, like, cut it off because it's a little too out there, it's a little woo-woo, and they just really don't want anything to do with it? They, especially with the tech and business, I can see that a lot of people would kind of be very skeptical about that. You know, I haven't encountered them, but... I'm sure that they're out there. But I think, you know, to anybody who's saying like, okay, following your gut is, you know, very woo-woo and kind of like not based in like reality or fact, I would argue that it very much is. So much of trusting your gut, at least to me, um, means getting quiet, cutting through the noise and actively taking time to articulate those feelings. So kind of like that client who finally was able to name the superpower that she had been, you know, wrestling with for a while, like it takes a lot of work, even if it's not you actively sitting down and thinking about it, your brain is processing it. And so it's taking that time to articulate your feelings, your preferences, what you want moving forward. That to me is trusting your gut. Um, and I think that that is very firmly based in a lot of introspection and a lot of active work. just want to switch gears a little bit because you mentioned that you are a long distance runner and I was wondering would you say engaging in such an intense physical level um, along with the mental training has this aided in your ability to focus on yourself more and kind of cut out that comparison to others (laughs) that's a great question it's interesting because I think the competitive side of me for long distance running is always comparing me to me previously, you know, me, me to the fastest me that I've ever been. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the work has taken some of the comparison of myself to others out of the equation, but I still definitely struggle with, Oh, I should be faster. Oh, I should be doing, you know, my idea of who I should be in my own mind is always like, you know, the highest of expectations compared to where I'm at right now. Um, and so kind of wrestling with, all right, yes, I want to close this gap, but also if I fall short, that's okay. I think that is, that's the bigger wrestling match than comparing myself to other people. Yeah. It's comparing me to ideal me (laughs) who is not a real person. Yeah. (laughs) Um, oh, that's funny. I remember, um, uh, I did track when I would do like the 200 and the 800. And nice. I remember that that kind of exercise of really just physically like being out of my own head, it really allowed me to hone in on following my gut. And it's also the gut's like very physical sensation. Yes. I mean, would you recommend exercise or a certain physical routine for those trying to connect with their gut? Definitely, because in order to, if whether you're doing yoga or running or swimming, any kind of physical activity, you have to be connected to your body, you know? And I think in addition to just, you know, running requires so much mental focus, and I think that that has been very helpful. But it's also forced me to pay attention to how does my body feel, you know? Am I getting injured? Does that pain in my foot feel like discomfort, or is that something that should be checked out? 
And I think that that is also very beneficial when you're trying to trust your gut. You're just tuned into how does that whole area feel today? And can you give an example of perhaps a time in your life where it was guts versus logic and you went with your gut? Yes. Um, So actually, I feel like the instance when I started really being able to trust my gut again was I was in a relationship with a very lovely person who was great, but we weren't a good fit. We had been together for a while. We were living together. Um, And I think from an outside perspective, it probably seemed like everything was fine, but it didn't really feel good to either of us. Um, We had talked about different solutions. Um, I was doing a lot of journaling and thinking about that. And one day I woke up and I was just like, oh, we need to break up. And I was terrified of that knowledge because I cared about this person. I was scared about leaving them. I was scared about finding a new place. I was scared about what, you know, other people would say because they didn't have this inside perspective, but I went through with it and did it anyway. And it was probably the best decision that I had made that year. You know, since then, we have both found partners that we're very happy with and we're very well matched with those people. And I think that through that experience, it really got me back to trusting my gut. So when I was looking through for a new apartment, I waited until I found one that felt right. And that living situation was great. Um, You know, when I was at my last job, I felt this calling to do something different. I didn't really know what it was at the time, but I knew that I had to leave in order to make space to find it. So I left. And then by freeing up that emotional energy, I was able to think about, oh, okay, I actually really enjoyed the coaching aspect of this job. I think that's the direction that I want to go in. So that initial experience kicked off a sequence of events where I felt more comfortable trusting my gut in that space. What were the steps you took to get into the tech space? Sure. So I'm trying to remember myself. (laughs) Okay. So when I was in that archival role, I had reached a point where there wasn't really anywhere for me to go in the company. I was looking around at other archives jobs and just wasn't really interested in any of them and was thinking more and more about tech, but I realized that I didn't have enough technical skills to be able to make that leap at that time. And so at that point I started a side project. And so it was a blog where I was doing a lot of writing. I thought that I would get into the content space. So I was doing a lot of writing, um, but I was also really tracking analytics and doing a lot of AB testing to kind of see what was working, what's going to get me more, uh, you know, email opens and clicks of that nature. Um, And through that, I was able to build my resume enough to be able to get a job in uh, a tech startup. And then through that, you know, tech startups are very volatile. And so I ended up getting laid off from that space. Um, We went from a team of eight to a team of four. Um, And so then I started looking around and starting thinking more about, okay, what did I like from that last job? And what do I want to do moving forward? The previous tech startup was in the programming space. It was an app uh, teaching kids how to program. 
Um, but I was also, you know, very invested in getting more women into tech. And so that's how I ended up at a coding boot camp for women. And so in that space, I was doing a lot more public speaking. I was also um, engaging with students on a regular basis. So it was lots of non-technical work in the tech space. But that being said, I also learned a lot of JavaScript while I was at that boot camp. So that was a cool time too. Tried JavaScript once and I was like, oh no, this is like, I need to like <laughs> set aside like number of months for this. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely intense. When I started that job, I was working full time and then taking their three hour boot camp prep class at night. So a month of 12-hour days uh, left me pretty ragged. But I think if I had the time to really focus on JavaScript, um, I would like to do it. It's something that was very intriguing to me. I mean, I see like, a lot of people comment on today that so many high schools are integrating it into their classes as well. But I'd love to know, kind of, what was, that, what was the boot camp like? Um, where, yeah, where did these students kind of hear about these opportunities? Or how did they, how were they introduced to coding? initially? Yeah, it's fascinating because I talked to probably hundreds of people um, about their programming experience. And without fail, I'd say like 80% of them had an experience either in high school or college where they took a coding class or they were messing around on like MySpace and like changing fonts. um, Or, you know, they were playing around with something that a friend had made, maybe a friend was into computer science, they had an experience where they played with code, they really enjoyed it, but they didn't feel like it was for them or it wasn't the right time or whatever it was, they went in a different direction. Um, And so they were using this bootcamp to circle back to that initial experience of, oh, I tried this at one point in time and I really liked it. And I found that very interesting because I feel like on a broader scale, programming has a bit of a PR problem you know, it's not really seen as something that is creative. It's not really seen as a way to help people. Yeah. And so I think that lots of folks who are, you know, pursuing different professions would be well served to take a second look at programming um, as a way to further those creative and uh, helping goals. When I first started out, what I constantly kept hearing was you are your cheapest labor. And mm-hmm. If you're going to be your own brand, then you need, obviously, social media, but then also, like, your own website or the home platform to kind of cohesively bring everything together. Just to close things off, yeah, I was wondering if you had any recommendations that you feel speak to your own personal journey of staying true to yourself. And it can be something like a book or a song, something intangible, Anything that worked for you? I'd say probably the most important thing for me has been journaling and just like making time, making time to reflect because I think it's very easy to be busy all the time, (laughs) especially like I live in New York. Everything goes really fast. Um, There is not a lot of time set aside to think. It's not really valued to have that kind of downtime, but I think that it's critical to, you know, even set aside like 15 minutes a day to just reflect on, okay, what was this day like? What did it feel like? What worked well? What didn't? Um, Because those experiences add up over time. And I think even if you're taking 15 minutes to consciously think about it before you go to sleep, your subconscious is still processing it in the background, you know? And in order to 
come to those really big realizations and tease out those really big preferences of what do I want? You know, the, those large looming ultimate questions. Um, I think you do have to actively engage with them and you might not get an answer on the first day or the second day, but it really is a cumulative process. And how do you make that space for yourself on a weekly basis? How do you implement the quiet time for you? I put it on the calendar because if I don't have a meeting and a reminder, like it doesn't happen. Uh, So getting that reminder to uh, write, I like to do it in the morning just because that's part of my routine. Um, So typically I'll go for a run in the morning and then come back. And especially now, since it's so hot while I'm cooling off, I'll do my journaling then. Um, some folks like to do it at night, right before they go to sleep, but that's typically how I like to do it is put it on the calendar, you know, go through the routine. Um, cause otherwise it's very easy to just keep pushing it aside, pushing it aside. But I found that when I first started, I would have to put it on the calendar or it wouldn't happen. And now it's pretty much ingrained in my habits, um, where I will come back from the run, pick up the journal and do some work done. And was there ever a time that you were burnt out or has it, have you always had kind of a steady basis of making time for yourself and you never reached that end point where like, I need to just get away for a solid few weeks now? Oh yeah. I've definitely had times where I've been burnt out. I've been burnt out on journaling. I've been burnt out on running. And I think that it's healthy in that space to just respond to that need and take a break. Like that's okay. Um, burnout is very real <laughs> and can take a long time to recover from. So I'd say, you know, that's also a gut check moment too, is listening to yourself and saying, okay, like, am I just procrastinating on writing today? Or is this endemic of a bigger problem that I need to address, which is like, I am burnt out in this space and I need to make a change. This is Guts and Glory with Megan Duffy, signing off. This was Superpowers with Megan Duffy. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday, thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.